as we have walked through uh, these prophets, today we arrive at Habakkuk. If you don't know where Habakkuk is, uh, then the easiest way to get there possibly is to go to Matthew and go work your way backwards for Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, and then you'll end up in Habakkuk. Doesn't sound like a very easy way. Or if you happen to still have it marked a couple weeks ago from Micah, it's just Micah. Nahum, and then Habakkuk. So we're going to be in Habakkuk. And so I want to tell you just a little bit, kind of as we've been doing this, I've been trying to give you a little bit of history of these prophets. And Habakkuk uh, is another one who has lived in the southern kingdom. We have talked about Isaiah being in the southern kingdom as well as Micah. Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is a book that most of us probably know a little bit better than Habakkuk. But one of the things uh, that we see in Habakkuk, we see kind of two things that are happening. One, he knows uh, that the fall of the kingdom is coming. Uh, the southern kingdom is going to fall soon. And he, he tends to, to talk and, and to know that's about to happen. But one of the other things that we see in Habakkuk, or really that we don't see in Habakkuk, is that Habakkuk is one of those books in our Bible we have no idea who it was written to. We, we don't know the audience. And for a lot of us, that can seem kind of a negative thing. We know we'll be in a, we'll, in a few weeks, we'll be in Matthew's gospel. We know Matthew was written to a primarily Jewish audience. We, we know that Paul wrote Romans to the churches in Rome. Like we understand those things. Habakkuk, we have no idea who he was talking to. Now, this, this can be a good and a bad thing. The good piece of this is, is that for centuries, different groups have read Habakkuk as being written to them. We, we learned this and saw this kind of the most evidenced way is through um, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, this Qumran community. They had these, these Dead Sea Scrolls and they saw themselves as kind of the people of Habakkuk and that he was writing directly to them. That's the way they read this book. And so this morning, I hope that kind of as you read it, you're going to see some things that you're, I think you might identify with and be like, you know, that's, I've had those feelings before. And I think one of the neat things about Habakkuk is, is we don't know the audience. Maybe he was writing exactly to us. Maybe he is writing to our time. And we can kind of ask those questions and kind of live into Habakkuk that way. So let's look at the, at, we're going to look at two passages, one in chapter one and one in chapter two. The structure of Habakkuk is there are three prayers. Uh, God doesn't always answer the way that we well, actually, God rarely answers the way that, that Habakkuk wants him to answer or the way that we want him to answer. So we'll look at the first prayer, talk about it for just a moment, and then we'll move into the second prayer. So the first prayer starts with chapter 1, verse 1. Hopefully you've had some time to find it now. The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw. This is his first prayer. How long, Lord, must I call for help? And you do not listen. Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective. Injustice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Then God answers. We're going to read just five, six, and seven of his answer. And you're going to walk away from this answer. I'll just give you the heads up and say, I don't have any idea what God was talking about. We don't really know. There's, I looked at all different kinds of answers of what, this, what God is saying here. And nobody had a good answer. And so we're going to just 
I'm going to read it so I can say I read it, but then we're going to go back to his question and then we'll go into the second question because it's a weird answer. So this is what God says back. If you understand it, I'd love to know. But this is what God says back. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. That sounds pretty good. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, which was another name for the Babylonians. Look, I'm raising up your enemies. That bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. It's not a great answer. But let's go back to the question. Because I think the question is a question that we need to hear and a question that we need to sit with for a little while. Now, as Christians, I think one of the things we struggle with is we struggle with how we pray to God sometimes. And we think that if we say something to God that might hurt his feelings, that we need to not say that, but we still feel that way. One of the things the prophets do is they, they give us the ability to say things that sometimes are hurtful. The, the, the Bible tells us we can say things to God. And so here we have this incredible statement and Habakkuk says, why, why do you force me to look at injustice? God, if you are a good God, if you are a just God, why in the world do you not fix these things? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? The first week of the war in Ukraine, I saw what many of you might have seen on the news. There was a video of a woman driving down the road in Ukraine, a civilian driving down the road, and a tank crossed two lanes to run over her car. And I watched that. And I want to say, what? God, why, why do you force me to look at injustice? Why, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And we watch the news and we see things like Uvalde. We see things like the past two weeks. Whether it's in Colorado Springs, whether it's at a Walmart, you see these things and you just want to say to the news, God, why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? The last day of school before Easter, uh, before Easter wow, before Thanksgiving, my kids and some of you sat in lockdown for an hour and a half at the high school. And you want to ask, God, why, why, do, we, why do my kids know what lockdown is? Why, why do we have to do these things? And what I want you to hear this morning is Habakkuk says, you have the freedom to ask these questions of God because you're not going to hurt God's feelings. You're, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to understand that these things are frustrating things. And he even goes on to say to him, this is why the law is ineffective. ineffective. This is why these things don't work. This is why justice never emerges. Because God... I don't see how these things play out right. Why do we have to look at these things? And so what I want you to kind of walk away from this, what I want you to be thinking about 
is our understanding that the way the world currently is is not the way that God wants the world to be. There is no reason why children should go to school and be afraid. There is no reason that people can't worship without being afraid, that people can't go to the movie theater, that people can't go to the grocery, that people can't go to work. The world as it currently is, is not the way that God intends the world to be. And we ask these questions of God. Now let's go to, let's go to the second question. Maybe we'll get some answers in the second question. Chapter two, verse one. I will stay in my guard post. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. So just see what Habakkuk is saying here. All right, God, I didn't love your first answer. I think I have a legitimate complaint. I think he does. I don't love your first answer. Your first answer wasn't very good. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna stand at my station. I'm gonna position myself and I'm going to look and I'm going to watch and wait for you to give me an answer and I'm just gonna stay put. I'm just gonna stay here. God, when you're ready to answer, when you're ready to give me a good answer, I'm just gonna hang out, I'm just gonna wait. Tell me when you have a good answer. Sounds like a plan. Where are we comfortable with that plan? Let's just not do anything but wait and look. Everybody good with that? Then God replies, verse two. God says to, God answered me, write down this vision. Write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. So I brought with me today a tablet. Some of y'all call it poster board, it's a tablet. God's gonna give us a vision, right? That's what he just said. Write down this vision, clearly inscribe it, which my handwriting is not gonna be super clear, clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. Are we ready? Here's the vision. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, or some of your Bibles and the traditional translation, though it may tarry, Wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, verse four, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. So we have our tablet. God says, I'm gonna give you a vision of what to write on it. And then God gives us a vision, right? What was the vision? I, I don't know. God says the vision's coming. It's about the end. But he doesn't tell us. One of the better translations, I think, of this is the, uh, the uh, Christian or the, the common English Bible. The common English Bible, look at what he says. Look how they translate verse 2. The Lord answered me, write a vision and make it plain upon a tablet so that a runner can read it. 
This vision that we are supposed to be writing down for other people to see needs to be written in a way that when people run by, they can see it. So that when people go by, they can read what is written as our vision. So what is the vision? Well, from this, I think first off, we understand it's gotta be pretty short, right? You can't write, fill up the whole poster board with a bunch of little words and hope a runner can read it. So it's gotta be short. It's gotta be clear. It's gotta be simple, right? Short, clear, and simple. So write it plain so that a runner can read it. Okay. Verse two, or sorry, verse three. Let's go back to verse three. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. It testifies about the end. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. So here's my question. What would you write down on your sign? If if you had something that you needed to tell the world, it's gotta be short, it's gotta be clear, it's gotta be simple. What would you write down on your sign? What is the vision that God says, this is what I want you to tell the world? Now, don't don't divorce it from the context. The context of injustice, the context of all the bad things that are going on in the world. What would you write down on your sign? What is the thing that you would tell the world? I wanna tell y'all a little story. There was a man, uh, he was a philosopher named Miamides. Most of y'all probably heard of him. No, you haven't. So he was a Jewish philosopher. And he wrote down 13 statements of belief. So it'd be very similar to what we have as a creed. He wrote down 13 statements of belief. And these are things that if you were a Jewish child, you would memorize these things and you would learn these 13 statements of belief in the same way that we use the Apostles' Creed. So the Apostles' Creed, we kind of have 12 statements. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We could go on. Beomides came up with 13 statements of faith. And they call these in the Jewish, in Hebrew, they call these the anamonamen, which just means in Hebrew, I believe. The I believes. So now most of these, I think we would probably agree with. The first one is, is that I believe God exists and created everything. Okay, we're probably most of us, we're good with that one. The second one is we believe God is one. So we believe God exists and created everything. Two, that God is one. Three, that God has no body. Everybody with me? We're good. Four, that God is eternal. Five, that God alone should be worshiped. Okay, everybody, we're all together. Six, I think we would all agree with, 
But six is God revealed himself through the prophets. That's, that's six. Six, okay? I think most of us would agree with that. I, as Christians, I think we could add an extra sentence on there that says God, God revealed himself through the prophets and God's perfect revelation was in his son, Jesus Christ. We kind of, we tag that little piece on there because we like to add stuff. Number seven, and the only reason I'm going this far in this is because I'm going to tie it real quick to Matthew, which is where we're going. Number seven, Moses was the greatest prophet. Okay, we would, probably most of us are like, eh, I don't know about that one. And the reason I go there is I just want to, this isn't really a part of Habakkuk's sermon. I just want to go there because I want you to be thinking about it. Plant some seeds for the first of the year. In the first of the year, we're going to go through Matthew. And in Matthew, these are the ideas that Matthew has in his head as he writes his gospel. Now, Matthew predates Menominees. See how many times I can say that in a sermon. Matthew predates him, but these are still the understanding. And so when Matthew writes his gospel, Matthew is writing his gospel to, to a people who believe, number one, that God revealed himself through a prophet. So part of what Matthew wants us to see is, is that God hasn't just revealed himself through a prophet, but God revealed himself through his son. And the other thing that the people believe is that God, that the greatest prophet ever was Moses. And so if we're going to argue against that, we have to write a book in such a way to prove that Christ was more and greater than Moses. And so we're going to see that in Matthew's gospel. So that's just tuck that away in your head. Think about it. We'll come back to it at the beginning of the year. But just remember that piece. Okay, so those, those are the first seven. All right. And I think most of us, we, we would agree with them and, you know, we might add a few lines here or there, but for the most part. And for some of us would even say, you know, well, pastor, I don't know. Moses was the greatest prophet their entire life is built on law, built on the Torah. Where did the Torah come from? Well, when Moses went up Mount Sinai, he gave them the Torah through God. And so all of those things tie together. It's not, it's not as big of a jump as I think most Christians would think for them to get there. So they go through these statements. But the 12th statement is the statement that I want to focus on today. And the 12th statement is this. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And though he may tarry, I will still wait with him every day. Now, I know there's music playing, and I want y'all to listen to the music and me at the same time. All right? Can y'all do that? I want to tell y'all a story. This is a true story. This statement is a statement that is an important part of the Jewish tradition, an important part of what they believe. And they have done the same thing that we've done with the Apostles' Creed. They've set these statements to music. And one of the greatest songs in their history is a song called Anamonamen, I believe. And in Hebrew, the song repeats over and over and over the same words. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah, and though he may tarry, which is a quote from what? Habakkuk. Though he may tarry, I will still wait for him every day. So one of the stories that's passed down about this song is that we've all heard stories from the Holocaust that when the Jews would be packed onto these trains, they'd be packed in so tight that even when someone passed away, they couldn't even fall to the ground because they were in there so tight. But one of the things they did on those trains as they were all packed in together was they told stories, stories of their faith. And as they told stories of their faith, the next train would come and they would tell stories of their faith. 
And these stories would go from train to train to train. And some of these stories escaped from the concentration camps. One of the stories came from an extermination camp, Treblinka. And the story was told that at Treblinka, which is not a concentration camp, it was an extermination camp, 700 to 900,000 Jews died in Treblinka. And the story was told that as these men and women walked to the gas chambers, you know what they did? They sang a song. They sang a song. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And though he may tarry, I will still wait for him every day. And as these men and women walked to their death, they sang these words that we can hear right now. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And though he may tarry, I will wait for him every day. You see, I think the people of God in that moment heard Habakkuk. And there was no moment in history that, that I know of, and hopefully there will never be another moment in history that the words of Habakkuk are so true. How long must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. The wicked restrict the righteous and therefore justice comes out perverted. And God says to his people, write this down. Clearly inscribe it so that other people can hear it, that they can see it. And what do the people of faith write down? I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And that though he may tarry, I will wait for him every day. So the question for us is how do we insist upon hope in the face of this immediate violence and fear? How do we as the people of God say that no matter what happens to us, we have a message to carry. We have a song to sing. No matter what happens, we have something to say. How do we insist upon hope in the face of immediate violence and fear? I think it starts with his understanding that in a world filled with injustice, violence, impossibility, that there is hope for a coming Messiah. The proclamation of this possibility 
for a new way of life when it seems the most impossible. That's what Habakkuk and Advent are after. That we all have a question to us, and it's a question that comes to us from God. We have a sign. What do we as the people of God write down on our sign? What is the message that we give a world that is facing things that are beyond anything that we want to face? From war to violence to hopelessness to hunger, all of these things are upon us. And God says, I I want you to write something down for me. Now, I'm not advocating for writing things down and going and standing on the corner with a sign above your head saying this is what we're supposed to do. But the sign, the sign is a realization that there is a message that we all have. In this Advent, we all have a message. It's simple, it's true. We all have a message that the world needs to hear. And my hope this morning is that it's a message that we can hear and a message that we can walk into this Advent, walk into our homes, walk into our schools, walk into our workplaces, walk into our families and say, I have a message to tell you. This isn't the way the world is supposed to be. This isn't the way that God wants things to be. This isn't the way that life's supposed to happen. But I serve a God, a God who wants to set things right. A God who is setting things right. And I have a message to tell you. And the message is pretty simple. Messiah is coming. And as the people of God, we look to the hope of what that means for us. It's nothing profound, but it can change our world. And God says, take this vision and write it down. Proclaim it to the people. It's a message about the end, but it's a message of hope for today. Will we be a people who proclaim the very, very simple message? I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah, and though he will, may tarry, I will wait for him every day. Let us stand this morning and sing.